Let's pray, and we'll look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 to 30. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, as we cover this section, uh, looking at this uh, obscure man who really sacrificed a lot uh, in serving you, Father, we ask that you would um, speak to us through your word. Lord, may you convict us, may you challenge us, may you... um, Help us along in our journey with you. Uh, we do pray for our, our church family, um, that you would use uh, these life examples um, to help us as a church in our relationships and in our conviction and determination in serving you and honoring you uh, here in Valley Center and around the world. Uh, we are grateful um, for this calling that you have called us to. Father, I pray that you'd speak to each one of us, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death, For the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. If you'll skip ahead to verse 18 of chapter 4, I want to read that as well. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have uh, to study it. We ask that your spirit would guide us along uh, in this passage. We pray that you would help us to understand uh, the context, the setting, that we would see uh, applications and principles that apply to us as individuals, as a church. Lord, that we would honor you uh, with our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is really, uh, we find ourselves in, it's an it's a, it's a unusual section within Philippians. Uh, commentators are somewhat perplexed by, uh, by sort of the placement of, of these few verses going back to verse 19. So verses 19 through 30 in the midst of the writings, basically midway through the writing, Paul inserts um, this sort of travel log, what, what his intentions are, what's going on. If we can go to the next slide, I think I left it in there from last week, hopefully. Okay, good. Um, so Paul finds himself on the top left of the screen in Rome. Um, the church in Philippi is at the, the dot up there, modern-day Greece. Um, I think it depends on how you traveled. It it could be like a 700-mile journey to about a 1,200-mile journey. The fastest route would get you between these two places in six weeks. 
Um, it could take as much as three months if you had to walk around. It sort of de depended on your means and your, your ability. And so communication was really slow and delayed. And, and so we know that Paul had been under arrest for probably about four years. We believe that he was getting close to the end of his imprisonment in Rome. He spent two years in prison in Rome, but he was transferred basically from down in Caesarea where he spent two years under arrest. He's, he's uh, appealed to Caesar. He's waiting for his trial. He doesn't know the verdict. He doesn't know the outcome of what's going to happen. He says at this portion that he tells them previously that he plans on coming to them soon. He, he's optimistic. He says that he wants to very quickly before he comes to send Timothy so that Timothy could do sort of a, a round trip to go there, see how they're doing, report back to Paul, give some encouragement to Paul. Today's section, uh, we're introduced to this Epaphroditus. And so uh, it's believed that Epaphroditus is the one who took this letter uh, to the Philippians and delivered it to them. And so we have these, these two relationships, uh, the Timothy and the church. Timothy is a well-known character. Um, there, there's a lot about him in the New Testament. If you study the, the New Testament uh, and ponder him, it doesn't take long for you to sort of develop a feel about who he is as a man, his character, his, his closeness to Paul, um, how they served alongside one another, Paul, in verses 19 through 24, says there, there, there's no one like him. He, the, the word he uses is that they're equal souls. Um, we know that Paul would basically pass the baton to Timothy and Titus uh, for the furtherance of the gospel after his death. Uh, we see this in 2 Timothy. Um, but then there's this guy, Epaphroditus. There's not much that's known about this, this guy. Uh, we have two verses, and we read them today. That, that share about him. We have in verse 25, and then at the very end, verse 18. Uh, we know that his name is Greek in origin, Epaphroditus. It would have been a, a goddess in that area that he was named after. Um, and so Paul's going to share about this man. So what we have today is all of the information we know about Epaphroditus. Um, and so it's going to be, I have to guard myself to, to make sure that I convey what we know and to guard myself uh, against speculating ab about things. Um, there's a lot of speculation, um, and we'll speculate a little bit. We'll sort of infer from the text what we know about him. But as we begin, we look at verse 25. We read, But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. And so the first thing that we know is that his return back to Philippi, it's 100% Paul's decision. Like throughout this, we see Paul says numerous times, the reason that he's being sent back, the reason he's, he's coming to you is because I thought it was necessary. Um, he then... Uh, okay, we're going to do a little speculating. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if the spec... I don't want to get ahead of myself. So the speculation. When we uh, piece together this, this passage, it's, it's sort of believed that when, when the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus to Paul, the, the idea was that it was more of a long-term commitment, that, it, that he was going to be there for a while. Um, and, and so his coming back would have surprised him. Um, 
I imagine the people, I don't know how they had their letters. Maybe they're rolled up. So they, they haven't heard much from Paul or Epaphroditus. They'd heard rumors that he'd gotten sick. And then here comes Epaphroditus. After six weeks, hey guys, I can kind of see the look on their face like, what are you doing here? We sent you to Paul to minister to his needs, to care for him, to serve him however he sees fit. Why? Why are you coming back? And there would be sort of this room for speculation on his failure, his maybe quitting the mission. We, we know that um, some have speculated that Paul has grown softer at this time in his life. We know the incident with uh, John Mark in Acts chapter 15, I think it is, where, where, where John Mark quit on Paul once and Paul wasn't going to have him a second time. And so as he sends this, this man back who they sent, Paul wanted to convey to them that he was the one that sent him back and, and to share how he feels about him. And so he uses three terms to describe his relationship to Epaphroditus. Man, who rolled my notes up? This was really a bad idea. Um, um, I'm having a discussion with myself right now. A stop. So an application, kind of, it's, it's, it's sort of coming out more. We have a partnership with, with a number of missionaries. Uh, many of them have been over where they're serving for 10 years, the Georgies and the Nichols. Um, as their ministries have unfolded, they've gone through a number of trials. The Georgies in particular, um, we praise God last, just, just a, about a couple hours ago, Andrea was uh, in, a, in a pretty significant car accident and he's okay he's fine you know it looks like the car's going to be totaled but but they just have had a series of things and their their daughter's health and so they they have decided that it's time for them to come back to the united states um the the ministry there will go on that they've they've trained and equipped people for the ministry to continue but they think it's in the best interest of their family especially for their young girls to come back to the united states and so they are they're in the process of, of returning home permanently um, the Nichols are in another situation. They're in Tanzania. They're a, how do you describe it? He's Australian, and she's American, and they're going to relocate back to Australia here by the end of the year um, because their oldest child is getting towards high school age, and they feel like it's best for them to come back at this time. And so there's always a lot of, <clears throat> when people go out, when they, when, they, when they lay their lives on the table and place some risk, there could be some speculation. Oh, did you guys fail? Are you quitting? What's going on? And so I see a lot of this with young, or however old he is, but it's, it's speculated that he was young, that he was probably a bigger guy that could handle some money, that he, wasn't, he had integrity, but he also could take care of himself, that he wasn't worried about getting uh, hijacked along the way. And so Paul, when he says, it's my decision to send it back to you, he describes him as a brother. This is sort of a New Testament sort of phraseology that in Christ we become brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when he relates to, to Epaphroditus, the Apostle Paul says, he's, my, he's my, my brother in Christ. He describes him as his fellow worker. This is a, it's only used 13 times in the New Testament, and Paul uses it a lot. 
And the other people who are connected to this term fellow worker are people that are pretty significant. So for Paul to look at Epaphroditus and say, you know what, this guy, he's my brother in Christ, it's a fellow laborer in the Lord, and I view him very highly. Finally, he uses a term that I think he only uses a couple times. Um, Twice, in fact. This time and another time. He describes him as his fellow soldier. And um, it's a term that kind of gives me goosebumps, probably because of my background. Um, there's, a, there's a unique bond for, for warriors. Those, um, you know, I know in our, there's, I forget who said it, but somebody famous, you know, those who bleed with me, they can be my brother. And, and so there's something about the, the battlefield which creates a bond that's undescribable. Uh, Friday night, I had the pleasure of, of, of functioning as a chaplain for my old SEAL buddy for his retirement ceremony, and it's always interesting, to say the least, to go back to the old, the old guys, and, and, and it's like, you know, I get around some people, and I become like, oh, pastor, pastor gunner, and their behavior changes, <laughs> not around my SEAL buddies, <laughs> and uh, so I see some guys, and I was like, man, you've really put on some rank, like, what have, like, the, the, the inmates are running the asylum now, and and we're, you know, we're all kind of getting around, but it's just like 20 years has gone by, but it's like we haven't skipped a beat. And, and, and so when he uses this term fellow soldier, this, he uses this in the spiritual realm that, that as Christians, we've, we've been enlisted into service, that there's a spiritual battle going on. And, and those that serve with you, in this battle alongside and you go through hardship and heartache and, and things, there's a special bond. Like, I'll never forget my trip to Mongolia. You think, oh, what happened in Mongolia? Well, nothing really significant other than I got like really, really sick. And I tell you, what, like, I'm sorry, this might be TMI. Not probably, I know it is. <laughs> like, but when there's five kids, two parents, and then two males that are guests in your house with one bathroom, and one of them has like gets explosive diarrhea and throwing up, and you think you're going to have to medevac him out of uh, Mongolia. That was me. Um, I, I always tell him like, you never really bond with somebody until you get deathly ill, and it's like terrifying for you, and you're like having like your body's doing things that you wish nobody knew was happening, but there's no way to hide what's happening to you that there's some like special bond. And so Epaphroditus, he's sent to Paul while he's there. He almost dies. And he's, he's putting his life on the line in service of Christ. And Paul says, I've sent him back. This is my brother. This is my fellow worker. This is my fellow soldier. Don't look down on him for coming back. There's nothing that he did like he's in good standing. We know about his relationship. We read it earlier, but if you go back in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 18 in Philippians, and, and we see here that, that clearly Paul tells them, but I have received everything in full. Everything that you sent to me, I received it. A- and I have an abundance, and I'm aptly surprised, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So we know that when they became aware of Paul's situation, that he's under arrest, if Paul was going to eat, if he was to survive, if he was to pay his rent in the place, 
it was going to be outsiders who were doing this. And that, so they took up a, col- a collection. They, they per- got funds and whatever Paul needed. And they found the most reliable guy that they could find, a guy that they could trust. And that was Epaphroditus. And they said, Epaphroditus, take this gift and you go to them. You go to him and you take care of him. And we'll see... Uh, where is it at? The very end of verse 25. Notice that Paul describes Epaphroditus. It's a tongue twister. Why couldn't it be something easy? Um, so Epaphroditus, he describes him as my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier. And then it shifts to Epaphroditus' relationship to them, who is also your messenger. The word is apostle. Like, like it's the one who is sent by you, not, not in the capital A sense, but but he was sent out by you as a messenger to come to me, um, to also to minister to my need, to, to be a servant to me, to be there if I needed anything. So Paul is handcuffed to the Roman guards. Hey, Epaphroditus, I need this. Can you go do this? Can you deliver this? Can you go out there, figure out? And he's out running stuff on Paul's behalf because they sent him to do this. So he speaks very highly. The, 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 the point of all of this is that Epaphroditus is elevated by Paul to them. All the questions are removed. As Epaphroditus shows up with a letter, why are we looking at you, Epaphroditus? What's going on? You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be with Paul. We thought the plan was this. And then as they got the letter, they would have seen from Paul the deal. Um, It's funny, I mentioned on Friday night, we found myself at a table with a bunch of, well, not a bunch, Small numbers, like there's three of us, old platoon mates. We start telling stories. And then we start, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? Do you remember what he did to us in Bahrain? It's like, oh, yeah, I remember what he did to us. Basically, when we got the call that we were going to go do real work, he basically walked down to the airport and bought a plane ticket and went home. Whatever happened to that guy? I heard, and we were telling all our stories about how he flaked on us and, and how... Uh, Oh, yeah, this happened, this happened. You don't forget about these things. And, and, and the point of all of this is Paul's trying to remove any sort of speculation. Hey, he didn't quit on the field. He, he didn't quit on me. He didn't do anything. I'm sending him back. He's a brother in the Lord. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. Don't look down on him. Now going to the next verse here in 26. And he's going to explain why he's come back. He says, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So, so this, is, uh, this is sort of a homesickness. It's not like he was home and he's like, oh, I miss all the food back there and I miss my bed and I miss the comforts of life. This is, he was longing for them because he was distressed because they were worrying about him. Um. I was around my SEAL buddy, so a bunch of like old SEAL memory stories have, have resurfaced this weekend. But I'll never forget when we first made it through training and we found ourselves in, in a, at an army base in, in a Georgia, and we rented an apartment, and my officer, I hear him talking to his mom. And he's talking to his mom, and he's telling her how beautiful the weather is in San Diego, and he's just at the beach this morning laying out at the sun, I was like, hey, who are you talking to? He's like, my mom. 
Like, why are you telling her that you're in San Diego and the weather is beautiful? Have you not watched the news? It even made like CNN, the big news stations. There's a terrible storm in San Diego. It's like however many inches of rain has to come down. And he's like, oh, man. He's like, my mom has no idea that I'm a Navy SEAL or on the pipeline of it. He's like, she's a good old Irish Catholic from Boston. And, and uh, if she knew that we were here jumping out of planes or doing what we do, she would be so worried about me. And I couldn't go, I couldn't do what I needed to do if I was worried about her worrying about me. So I tell her I'm on a ship. <laughs> and I kind of think this is what happened. Like, they'd gotten word. It takes six weeks to, get them for, to play the telephone game. And so they got word that old Epaphroditus was ill, and then somehow they, they got word not knowing how the resolution worked out with him. Like, he could have died. And then word got back to him saying, man, they think that they're like planning your funeral. They think you're dead. It's really sad. I'm glad to see you're doing well. And then he's just feeling sick to his stomach that this church back there, his loved ones, that they're worried about. So he's, he's longing for them and he's distressed. And this word distressed is only used three times in the New Testament. The other two times it's used are describing the story of Jesus in Gethsemane when he's distressed and he sweats droplets of sweat and blood that are commingled. That, that word distressed that's the word that's used to describe what Jesus is going through. It's, and the only place it's used is here, is that he is distressed for how they're feeling about him. He so loves them, he wants to let them know that he's okay. He wants them to see him. And so Paul says, I've decided to send him back because he's longing for you. He's so distressed because you heard that he was sick. Verse 27, for indeed he was sick to the point of death. He's like, he was sick. He almost died. We didn't know if he was going to make it or not. But God had mercy on him. And not only him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. And so Paul affirms to them the, the seriousness of, of his sickness. Uh, I'd like to observe a few things about his sickness. Is um, Like we, we don't know what the sickness was. It could have been that he got like really bad food poisoning. It could have been that he had some sort of like, you know, this is like, you know, Little House in the Prairie I always talk about when they get the fever. It's like, oh, you get the fever and you're going to die. Like some serious uh, illness that we don't think is that serious. Back then it was serious. Like if you got a fever, that, that could be that you died. It could be that he got injured. It could mean that he got beat up. It could, we just don't know. But it was so significant that he almost died. Um, we know that it wasn't sin, because if you go to verse 30, it says he came close to death for the work of Christ. So, so whatever, whatever happened to him, which we don't know, we know that it was done in the purpose of serving Christ. We know that God's mercy brought about healing. Our, our lives and our deaths are in God's hands. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to figure out how I want to say what I want to say. I, um, when you get sick, when you have illnesses, when you have things, we're so quick to want to get out from under it 
that it's very easy for us to, to, to become almost carnal in our thinking. Carnal might be the wrong, humanistic, or, uh, that, that this life is everything. And, and so we spend all of our time trying to get out from whatever ultimately is going to go wrong. You know, ba- basically, there's a couple of exceptions, but basically everybody who was ever healed in the New Testament died. Like, like in this life, we're going to die. Like you're, you're going to reach a place where the second law of thermodynamics catches up, which everything is moving from order to disorder. Something's going to happen that becomes fatal, that you're going to die. Sorry if that was a surprise to anybody here. Like, it's possible like, that the rapture could happen, that God could come, and we could all go back like a few individuals, and we could bypass that. But <clears throat> generally speaking, we're, we're all going to get sick, and we're going to die. Like, it's, it's going to happen. And so sometimes when we're in that moment of sickness, we're so busy trying to get out from under it that we miss the very thing that God is trying to teach us in the midst of it. And so here's Epaphroditus. He's suffering. Paul, who, who had the ability to heal people from sickness, apparently didn't really have like a say in this whole thing. Paul, we know in his own life, he got sick and didn't have any say. Like he was unsuccessful. He prayed three times and God didn't do anything. He said, you know what? What I need you to know is that my grace is sufficient. So even if I take your life, you, you, you're going to be okay. Um, and so I'd encourage you that if you're going through some suffering right now, it, I'd encourage you to try to learn what God is teaching you in the midst of it instead of just trying to get out from under it. Um, I'd also say that it's okay to be sad about sickness and death. Like, look, like, like Paul says in the last part of verse 27, God had mercy on him. So God had mercy on Epaphroditus, and he got well. He recovered from his illness. <clears throat> but he goes on to say, but not only on him, but also on me. So Paul said that God had mercy by healing Epaphroditus, so Epaphroditus received mercy, but Paul as a person, one person sort of removed from Epaphroditus, God had mercy on Paul in healing Epaphroditus. And he said, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. He says, listen, if God took Epaphroditus, I would have the grief of having to share with you that your beloved brother, he died. I personally this guy being my, my brother in Christ, this guy being my fellow worker, this guy being my uh, fellow warrior for Christ, I would be sad. And so Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that, it, that, that it's okay for us to grieve. It's okay for us to have sorrow. But, but our sorrow as Christians is different, is distinct from those that don't have Christ. Because we know this life is temporary, and it's not about this life. It's, a, it's, a, it's about eternity with Christ. And ultimately, death is grace that God gives us to be freed from this body that's so rattled with sin and the stain of this world. Moving on to verse 28. He says, Therefore, in light of all of this, <clears throat> I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Clearly, this whole situation, not only was Epaphroditus suffering, that he was distressed over the whole thing, Paul's distressed over the whole thing. Because Paul so loves them, and that he's, that they're worried about them. And he, 
And, and it's just like they love each other so much, they don't want anybody to be worried. Like, hey, it's okay. Like Paul already in, what is it, uh, 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, listen, I, my life and death, it's in Christ's hands. And, and either is okay with me. And he says, I want you to have joy in seeing Epaphroditus. I don't, I don't want to be concerned about you anymore. I want you to see that he's okay. And, and so Paul sacrificed this blessing of Epaphroditus that they had sent him to bring this gift and then to remain there to care and minister to Paul. And Paul says, you know what? You're a huge blessing to me and I'm grateful for you. But I'm going to sacrifice this that, that has been offered to me in order to be a blessing to them. And so you go, Timothy. Um, it's, just a, it's a beautiful thing to see people who, who are like the individuals that are described in Philippians 2.3, do nothing from self, selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility in mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. When people are like this, when we function as a church, where it's like, it's not about me. I'm more concerned about you. And, and I'll sacrifice on my behalf in order to be a blessing to you. And the person receiving it is like, well, no, 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 no. I want to be a blessing to you. It's like everybody's fighting at the restaurant over who's going to pay. Like, no, 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 no. I'm going to pay. No, 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 no. I'm going to pay. Like, okay, how about you pay this time and you let me pay next time? It's like, it's just, when there's this concern and everybody wants to be a blessing to everybody, it's beautiful. And so he says in verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy. Receive him. Don't, don't wonder why he came back. I told you why he came back. Hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. That's, a, that's important. He said, I, I know you love me. And we're going to see in Philippians chapter 4 that, that Paul, like he knows he's going through a hard time, but he gives thanks for this hard time because this difficult time that he's going through he knew that they loved him, but this difficult trial that he was going through, it basically provided an opportunity for them to display their love to him. What a way to look at trials. Be broken down on the side of the road. You see your buddy stop or somebody offering you to help, and you're like, praise the Lord, man. I knew you loved me, but my trial, it just gave you an opportunity to show it, and so I'm so thankful for that relationship. What, what a lesson in how to go through trials. And Paul says, listen, I know not all of you could come to me, but you sent him, and you sent a gift with him, and he was able to, to minister to me and to care for me on your behalf. So view him in high regard. He risked his life. He took a gamble with his life. I don't think that's probably a bad term for Christians to use, but, but he, threw, he put himself out there. He made himself available. He risked it for, for Christ, for them. And he says, you know, you, you get credit for what he did. If you'll turn with me over to 3 John, I, I was going to just read one verse, but, it, but please go with me to 3 John. I, I want to show you this sort of a, I can't call it a pyramid scheme. <clears throat> but, but there's somehow, as we're connected to one another as the body of Christ, and, and we're connected to others that are serving, in our, I, I forget what, but I like what Scott Toll said, wherever he is. He always refers to like our, our spiritual escrow account or something. Is that what it is, Scott? Can I put you on the spot? Spiritual escrow account. That there's this escrow account in heaven that as we serve in this life and we do things with good intentions, 
that God's sort of going, had a boy, that's going into your account, that you're going to get a reward in heaven. And so in 3 John, let's, re, let's, let's start at verse 1. There's only one chapter. And so the elder uh, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So, so John, the apostle, is writing to this guy Gaius, who's an elder, so he's a leader of the church. He said, beloved, I pray in all respects that you may prosper and, and be in good health just as your soul prospers. So it's believed that this guy Gaius was an elder, good man, but he had health conditions. He had limitations in what he could do. And so Paul says, I pray that your health will prosper just as your soul. He's healthy spiritually, not so healthy physically. And he says in verse 3, For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth, that is how you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. And so what Paul tells this Gaius, this Gaius, it's believed he was, he was too sick to, to actually go and to do and to participate around the world. But, but, but Paul says, as my brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing the work of the ministry, they roll through your town, you invite them into your home, you take care of them, you send them off better than what they came he says, the work that they're doing, it's credited to your account. You're partnered with everything that they do. And it's beautiful. Um, when we as a church are connected to missionaries and to those that are working beyond just our little world here, the reason that we do this is because I believe it's biblical that, 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 that the church is connected worldwide. We're a part of the universal church. It, 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 there's the, the local body of Christ, but it's not just about us. We're a part of something so much bigger than just what's even happening. The great stuff is happening here, but, but we got to have a global perspective of what God is doing. And so you, you might not be able to, to go overseas or to, to go do something but if you're praying for our missionaries in this new, in our new directory, there are missionaries in the back, you can be praying for our missionaries. You could go, you could do whatever. But, but somehow as we partner with those that are sort of on the front lines, and we're on the front lines, I don't, I'm arguing with myself, but we're all connected. And, and, and as we support, there, there's, a, there's a blessing to us. And Paul tells the church in Philippi that they sent Epaphroditus and the work he did, it was on their behalf. And, and he recognizes that, that Epaphroditus, when he was sent, it wasn't just on his own strength, his own merit. It was that the body of Christ in Philippi came behind him and sent him. So as we wrap up here today, when I look at this guy Epaphroditus, the, the, the first thing I see is that living for Christ doesn't mean that your life is going to be free from hardships. So often Christianity is, is, is presented to individuals, if you just give your life to Christ, all of your problems are going to go away. I love, I love that there's laughter because we all know that's not true. 
the, the reality is, is sometimes giving your life to Christ means that your problems are going to increase dramatically. You tell me that the guy that's living deep in Saudi Arabia or somewhere in the world where it's, it's Muslim and their whole family is Muslim, you're telling me that when that guy gives his life to Christ, that all his problems are going to go away? Mm-mm. So the question is, why do we give our lives to Christ? We give our lives to Christ because we have a problem. And that problem is we've been separated from God by our sin. I always love Dave Johnson's story. Dave Johnson is the only guy I know that has witnessed to himself and then got saved. Like, I don't know how that's going to work in the spiritual escrow account. Does he get credit for leading somebody to the Lord when it was himself? Like, I, it's beautiful. But there's that old illustration, you know, you guy, a guy's given a parachute. And you're told, hey, if you put this parachute on and you're traveling internationally, it's going to make your flight so much more comfortable and everything's going to be great for you. You put on the parachute and it's like, they're not really that comfortable. But if you think that it's supposed to increase your comfort, then you're going to, t- you're going to shed it before too long. And so often people come to Christ because they think their lives are going to get better. They're going to get healthy. What, what is it? Healthy, wealthy, and wise? And maybe the wisdom part will happen. But the other stuff doesn't. And so then they take off the parachute of Christ and they walk away from him. But if you're told, hey, listen, buddy, we're going to go up in this airplane and you're going to have about a 30 minute ride. And then the back of the plane is going to, the ramp's going to go down and you're going to be at eh, anywhere between 13 and 15,000 feet. And you're going to have to jump out of the plane. And that parachute that you're wearing, it will actually save your life. Kind of changes the whole perspective of why you're wearing the parachute. In fact, you'll wear it more uncomfortable. Like, I really cinch it down for fear that I would slip out upon impact. And uh, so we come to Christ because there's a holy God. And we have sin. And this holy God can't commingle with sin. And so we, apart from Christ, stand condemned because of our sin. Separates us from the holy God. But this holy God, the one who judges us, also loves us and sent his beloved, beloved and only son to live the perfect life as an example for us, to go to the cross, to have the, his wrath poured out upon him so that we might have life in him. So we first come to Christ first and foremost so that we can have this relationship with a living God, period. It doesn't matter what happens. And this is the whole purpose of this letter, that you can find true joy It's not about your circumstances, whether you have much or little. In Christ, I can endure all things. So we come to Christ because we need him. And and then we learn that as we come to Christ, you're enlisted into this big spiritual battle that's happening underneath the surface, and God then has, has, has enlisted you to participate in this war that's happening. I don't know what he was thinking calling us into this sort of surface, that we become his ambassadors according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're asked to love one another and to serve one another. And every time you serve, every time you do something to be a blessing to others, you're putting yourself at risk. I always think of my father-in-law, mainly because we make fun of him a lot. We're like, oh, you, John, you're the most gullible guy. It's like, no, 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 no. 
This guy I met downtown, he's from Canada, his car broke down, and he just needed five bucks to make it back to Canada. <laughs> and so I want to be a blessing to him, and so I'm going to give him five bucks. If he takes advantage of me, that's between him and God. And I get always so convicted about my father-in-law because I'm, I'm skeptimistic. I've created two words. I, I'm a pessimist and, a, and I'm skeptical. And both of those together are skeptimistic, and that's, that's what I am. And so I'm like, John, that guy was there last week. He's there next week. John's like, that's between him and God. He's like, I believe that God wanted me to give $5 to see if I would be a blessing to him. Charles Swindoll says, his truth is every time you minister to someone in need, you risk something every time. You risk being taken advantage of. You risk being misunderstood. You risk being ostracized. And then he says, the risk is worth it. So when I look at this Epaphroditus who was willing to risk it for Jesus to go, it's a beautiful thing. I'm convicted to, 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 to put my life on the line for him. I believe these relationships sort of set the pattern for us as a church that, that our, our missionaries that we're connected to, it's not just about giving money. It's like we are relationally invested in them. We want people to go visit them. We're not going to send teams of 20 to, you know, 10, 20 people to go visit. It's just overwhelming to them. But, but sending two to three people to our missionaries to go support them, to encourage them, to get to know them, to bring reports back about their, like we want that and so be praying for that. I can almost guarantee you that you'll get sick. And so going to Mongolia, we just went to Japan to encourage Ben. My lovely bride went for the chicken. I went for the beef. In our four-day trip, she was basically throwing up for half of it. For the sake of the gospel, you will get sick. It will be inconvenient for you to go. Whether or not you go and you participate in these trips to either, you know, Mexico, Brian goes every week. I want to get us a trip to, you know, to go down there as a church, to go to Taiwan, Romania, Africa, Japan, like to, to go visit and encourage these missions. Like, you're going to get sick. You're going to be inconvenienced. You're going to be tired. It's like, there'll be misery involved with it. But there's going to be huge blessing. And even if you can't go, it's totally legitimate that you can't go. Well, maybe you can contribute, maybe you can pray, maybe you can participate. And we're told that as a body, we get credit to our accounts. And I want us to be challenged. I was challenged in Japan by a guy who was a part of the International Missionary Board, which is a part of our denomination. And I'll spare you the story of the conviction, but it led me to reaching out. And on Monday, I met with this missionary who will come and he'll be here in a few weeks and the message won't be recorded. But he serves in the Middle East and a country that I've been to. And I'm sitting there talking to him. It was like, hey, we'll meet for a couple minutes and a couple minutes led to four hours. And I'm talking to him. I said, I've been to that country. I know all about it. And I'm just like, I'm talking to him going, I if we develop a relationship, you know, I normally visit other missionaries and I think I'd come visit you, but I don't. I have really have to pray about it. And I know I'm always in trouble when I start doing that because I'm looking for a way to tap dance out of being deeply convicted. Like, is my comfort, is my convenience, would I 
like, would I go visit a missionary in a part of the world that I've only been to doing other things? And there's a danger there. And the question, the answer is, I, I, I hope so. <laughs> the bottom line is we need Epaphroditus's in our church family. We need individuals that are willing to put their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. And maybe it's not even your life on the line. Maybe it's just your reputation. Maybe it's a risk of helping somebody. Maybe it's a risk of doing something that you wouldn't otherwise do. That we would simply go before the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Use me as you see fit. It's the prayer of my life, and I'm so grateful that we have so many at this church who are living this way. This is not a beat everybody up. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this man, Epaphroditus. We don't know much about him, but it's clear he was willing to be used by you. We know that as he went, he got sick. We know that he almost died. We know that this was... um, we're told that he almost died because he offered his life to be used by you. And Lord, I'm deeply convicted that so often I'm willing to push back with you because it might inconvenience me. There might be a danger, there might be some risk that could cause me something that I'm afraid of. And the root of this is really not trusting you. So, Father, I pray for each of us here that you would give us a bigger understanding of who you are, that you would stop us in our tracks with your majesty, your magnitude, your awesomeness, to think that you, this mighty holy God, who spoke creation into existence, loves us and pursues us and chases after us, that our lives are in your hand. Father, I pray that you would help us to live in a way that as Paul lived, that if we live, it's going to be for your glory. And if we die, it's gain because we know that we'll be in your presence. And so, Lord, I know there are people here that maybe don't know you as Savior. And so I pray that uh, the, the gospel would would come to life for them, that they would understand clearly, as Dave said, the the simplicity of it, that you're a God who loves, that you're a God who sacrificed, that you're a God who uh, set the gift before us. And so we each have this opportunity to respond. And so I pray for those that have been holding back that they would respond to you, that they would receive the gift. And for those of us who have received the gift, Lord, I pray that you would help us to stop holding back. Do something in our hearts that ignites our love, our passion, our desire to pursue godliness, taking you seriously. Father, we pray that we as a church would be a church that honors you, in everything that we do. We love you, Father. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.